Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. I hope you enjoy. Um, if you see me skip through some slides in the next few moments, it's because I'm one to be conscious of the time, especially for our leaders who work with our kids each Sunday down there. I believe we've heard a very good message today. Um, I want to compliment that message, and so come with me on this quick journey. How is your heart of compassion when you see all the homelessness in our city and across Canada these days? What runs through your mind when you see a person holding up a piece of cardboard asking for help? Please don't answer out loud. I'm going to guess that for most of us, we have a range of thoughts and feelings. Sometimes they're on the the sympathetic side where you're thinking something like, man, I wonder what that person's story is, right? And other times, if I was to guess, that we would also have negative thoughts too. Things where we're maybe wondering like, well, what's, they look healthy. Can they get a job? There's lots of jobs. There's different thoughts and feelings. And maybe sometimes we're sympathetic and sometimes we're not. I remember in 1986 when I was in high school, Bruce Hornsby in the range, some of you will remember him, he came up with this song called, It's Just the Way It Is. Do you remember that? Anyone? I'll sing it for you. Just kidding. I would love to. It was really nice. He comes on with the piano and stuff like that. But he's, you know, he's talking about social issues and some of the attitudes. And says there in this one line that this man in this silk suit hurries by as he catches the poor old lady's eyes just for fun. He says, get a job. That's just the way it is. And then he sings it. You know, he was trying to challenge us to think about the fact that we need to have hearts of compassion even when we have these sentiments of, well, I have to work, so why shouldn't you? And stuff like that. Um, What I'm concerned about today is that we have a tendency to judge before we have a tendency to reach out and lend hope and love. I just think that's a human nature struggle that we have, that maybe our first instinct and our first thought is not to act as Jesus would act. And so I want us to look at that and to really ask ourselves a question, where is my heart at by way of compassion for those in need? Am I allowing it to get callous? The truth is that we do have various emotions. Uh, Frustration could be one of them, or just simply overwhelmed. It just feels overwhelming. You listen to the news, and there's another dismantling of a homeless camp, and yet we know that it just gets taken down in one park, and then it pops up in another place, so it feels like we haven't really solved the problem. Uh, Just last week, I heard on the news that the Vancouver uh, Food Bank is saying, I know it's early in January, and we just had a massive outpouring of gifts and money at Christmas, but we need to restock our shelves here in January because the needs are so high. People are living so close to the line of poverty. Kids going to school these days have hungry stomachs, and so there's programs that are running in most elementary schools to try to help feed kids first because you can't teach them if they're hungry. Pastor Tim, just this last year, went to the principal at Evans Road, uh, the connection that we have through Afternoon Adventures, and he said to him, are there any needs within the life of your school that maybe our church could help meet at Christmas? And the answer came back, we, we have our own breakfast program. It gets funded through the local PAC, the parents. Um, there's not enough money. And so because of a, a missions committee gift through our Thanksgiving offering, we were able to give $2,000 to help beef up that fund so that kids could have breakfast at Evans Road. The needs are overwhelming, and we can feel overwhelmed by it. Not only that, but the needs are complex, right? Like, it's not just one thing. It's not just food. Food is the beginning point. But you know that, as we heard from Scott already, there's the issues of addiction and mental health, and they need higher levels and more opportunity to be able to get the help that they need if life is truly going to change. And for these reasons, I am very, very thankful that we could partner with a place like Ruth and Naomi's. 
I think that was an absolutely fantastic presentation and understanding of what God is doing in and through that ministry. But here's my fear. Due to the overwhelming nature of the need that we see today, we run the risk of our hearts growing indifferent or becoming callous. I mean, we can be well-intentioned people, but we can also give up. Um, It could be because it feels like it's pointless and you become disillusioned. And for some people, they have really kind of given their best and come out from volunteering or giving themselves in a situation where they feel disillusioned, right? Um, Or it could be that uh, the next level where you get taken advantage of. You had good intentions and you reached out to help someone, but it wasn't met with a good reception, right? Um, They took advantage of your goodwill. And I'm going to share a story from my own story in Bolivia when Ann and I lived down there in South America for five years prior to coming to this church. That's what we were doing. Um, like many of you who have traveled the world, you've seen poverty. It's all over the place in India and Africa and Central America, Haiti, parts of Asia. And the Van Wardens came back from Tanzania and Rwanda and they talked about how challenging it was with all the levels of need in a country like that or those two countries. We just saw Marianne Westring's team in November that went to Kenya and the the widows and the needs that they have. Um, In our own church, we have a family that spends half the year down in Honduras. And uh, Linda Forseth, this is Eleanor Rell's daughter, was sharing with me just what it looks like there. And, And so it was very similar to our experience in Bolivia where the needs of people is overwhelming. And when you're a white person living in a developing country, you're kind of expected to be on the wealthy side. And so your door gets rung a lot. They have these gates out front and people will come by and you almost hated to hear your door clank because you knew it was going to be another need. You know, sometimes you're trying to be compassionate. You're trying to be Jesus, right? We're the hands and feet of Christ. We talk about this. Feats. Did you get that? Great English. We're the hands and feet of Christ. But you know, you're trying to be compassionate, but you can't meet every need. And pretty soon you find yourself mm, not wanting to answer it, or, or you help up to a certain point, but they come back the next week, and it's like, oh, I helped you last week, there's no more. And on this one occasion, just before Christmas, this lady comes by, and she rings her gate, and I go out, and I listen long enough. I can see she has five children. She's on her own. The story is grave. The situation is difficult. She needs money. And so I gave her money. I wanted to help her. And I gave her the equivalent of about $50 Canadian, which would be like, it would take care of like a month rent in, in Bolivia. <clears throat> and she gives me the two, two gold rings, gold rings. As kind of like collateral. Oh, I'm going to pay you back. I promise I'll pay you back. Take these rings. These rings prove I'm going to come back. I was like, well, no, I don't care about the rings. I took the rings. And she was adamant about paying me back. I was like, I don't need you to pay me back. I just want to give it as a gift. But then I soon found out why she was giving me two gold rings and was adamant about paying me back. It was just her scam. It was just her shtick. It was her gig with her kids to go door to door to do this. And when I figured that out, it hurt. You start to lose trust in people, and it's like, well, I'm not sure that I'm going to be as generous with the next person who comes along because I feel betrayed. My good intentions were taken for granted. I became skeptical. I started to help a little less. And then I was talking one day with a missionary in Bolivia who was there longer than me. And I started to share with him this story. And he just laughed. He goes, you don't think we all have been there? (laughs) And then he said, Rod, as followers of Jesus, we're called by God to be compassionate and caring towards others. If If sometimes someone takes advantage of you and your goodwill, that's on them, not you. And then he said, I think God would rather have you be a compassionate and caring person than a jaded and callous person. And then he said to me, plus, it happened just before Christmas. Just think of the amazing Christmas you gave those kids. (laughs) 
I could begin to laugh about it. My, I let my pride go. I was just a little bit wiser. So I tell this story because I think that we all have certain experiences and we all have reasons as to maybe why we've allowed our hearts to close off a bit, right? Um, and we don't want to become jaded people because that does not reflect the heart of God. But we can know it here, but it's hard to live out in everyday life. And it is. In the Old Testament, it's very clear that we see that God has a heart for those who have less, uh, whether poor or downtrodden. And so there's this one passage in Leviticus which has a whole bunch of um, kind of like teachings to help them as Israelites care for their fellow, fellow person. Um, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges. So don't harvest to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. It's ironic that the name of the mission that we were hearing about today is called Ruth and Naomi's because in the story of Ruth with her mother-in-law Naomi, Ruth goes to a field to glean. She's going to go harvest some barley, right? And Boaz, the owner of the field, comes along and says to his men, who is that? And then he goes and meets her and then he says to his men, let her stay in the field and glean all day. In fact, he says, leave a little extra. So Boaz is, is uh, practicing this teaching that, that he knows from Leviticus 19. Deuteronomy says, If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites, if any of the towns, in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God has given you, do not be, look at the heart language, hard-hearted, tight-fisted toward them. Give generously to them and do not, and do so without a grudging heart. Again, heart language, right? So I, I think what I'm trying to challenge us to do is kind of like, well, I think we need to check our own hearts if it's becoming callous or jaded or indifferent. God wants it to be soft, and he wants us to be generous. I could share more, but I will just advance my slides here. Um, the Old Testament speaks about it, but so does the New Testament. If you have at all read your Bible, and I hope you are, uh, you come to the New Testament, and you read about the words of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you realize that he is quite favorable in his language towards the poor and has quite a strong warning towards those who would be wealthy. Um, to understand before God our right place of how we should use the power and influence we have, and that if you are in a position that has power and influence and wealth, that you use it for good, that you don't become callous towards those who have less. And so in the words of Jesus here in Luke, I want to read two of these from Luke for you. It says, looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Our theology tells us there comes a day when we stand before God. And God's economy of how he rates and judges people is different than the economy of how our world rates and judges people. But because by nature of the fact we live in this world, we too can be influenced in the thinking of how our world thinks rather than aligning it to how the kingdom of God works. And that's what Jesus was doing with the Sermon on the Mount. He was trying to tell us about this is how it works in God's kingdom. And we are to be kingdom people who reflect God's kingdom. I don't think I will read all the verses here. I'm going to trust the fact that you are familiar with the words of Jesus in many places. This is Luke's gospel in Matthew's gospel where he speaks about caring for the needy and the poor. 
Now, I know that each of these verses also have a context, and I have not done justice to that at all. But at face value, when we read these verses, it would be hard to dismiss the fact that God wants us to be compassionate and carrying people towards the hurting, the lost, and maybe the less loved of the world. I think that it's very evident if you read your Bible, even at face value without understanding the fuller context, that God has a heart for the poor. I heard once from a person who says, if you don't know the person and you don't know their story and you don't know their situation, rather than judging, let empathy lead you. I thought, man, that's a good piece of wisdom. Let empathy guide your heart. And then there's this proverb. I know we have our English one, but this comes from First Nations people. To understand a man, you must first walk a mile in his moccasin. You've heard that? Or a mile in his shoes, right? And the idea there is we're so quick to project onto another person that their life experience is just like mine. Therefore, why aren't you doing what I'm doing? Why aren't you where I'm at? And it's not true. I think what has helped me, if I were to lead with empathy and I was to apply this proverb to my own life, it would be to reflect on the fact that I had a good family growing up, loving and supporting parents. I always had the opportunity to work and have a job. I had the privilege of going to college and seminary. I'm an able-bodied person who still has most of his mental faculties in place. And so rather than allowing my first thought to be one of just instant judgment, maybe what it should be, first and foremost, is thanks to God for what you've allowed me to have or what I'm blessed with that I had no choice over in certain circumstances. I'm banking on the fact that you believe that God wants you to have a heart of compassion too. So we're going to move forward here. But I definitely don't want to minimize the challenge of keeping a heart of compassion. Okay, So don't hear me as preaching at you today. I'm bringing you God's heart for people that you and I have to try to reflect as well and figure out how to do that in the times that we live in the situation we find ourselves. So I want to apply a second word to our understanding of compassion. If so far I've said, please, we need to be people that reflect the compassionate heart of God. The second thing is we need to be people who apply wisdom to that. We need wisdom. And the New Testament is filled and the Old Testament filled with scriptures around wisdom. The teaching, the biblical principles that we see, sometimes scenarios or situations that are explained, you can extract from that what God kind of expects for us as society, as principles to live by, uh, sometimes distinguishing between those who would receive help from the church and those who would not. There were some widows that if they had family support, they were not to go onto the official church list of getting regular help because their families helped them. Well, there seems to be a principle. But those that didn't have enough support were to get onto a regular support system from the church. If a person was able to work, Paul says, they should work and provide for their family. In fact, he says in Ephesians that if you've been stealing, steal no longer, he says, but rather work doing something useful with your hands so that you may have something to share with those in need. So turn the tables, is what Paul says. If you have the ability to work and you've been stealing, don't steal any longer, work for it, and now you actually can be part of the solution to the problem rather than just being part of the problem. That's the redemptive nature of Christ in our life. When Christ comes into our life and we realize who we are in the presence of God, we're made in the dignity and the image of God. We begin to walk in this world in a different way. We realize our responsibility before God. So wisdom of how we should be living our lives, still no longer. Paul modeled that when he, uh, he wasn't stealing, by the way, but to support his ministry, he made tents. 
He was the tent maker. That means he made tents and sold them so that he could support his ministry so he didn't have such a burden on the churches that he was trying to plant to support him. The Bible talks about wisdom guiding us in all circumstances in life. When Jesus was sending out the disciples, he gave them this word of instruction. It's really interesting. He said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. This is to go and preach the gospel. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. You've probably heard that before, right? And I think in there, there's a bit of a principle that relates to this topic as well. When I think of being... So in this context, what he's basically saying, if a person is so hard-hearted and does not want to hear the gospel, don't keep preaching it at them. Know your, your time. So as a dove, be innocent to come and present. Um, as a snake, be shrewd in your understanding. There comes a point where you're not to throw your pearls before swine. You Maybe you've heard that. They're just going to trample them under. So don't give all your time and energy to that situation because they don't want it. At that point, take your gospel and move on. But there's a principle here that I see as it relates to this topic because we are to be compassionate in heart. I would say that that is kind of like lining up with the innocent part. That we shouldn't be judging the other person, but at the same time, wisdom says that we need to judge the situation. We're to be good stewards of what we have. We do not have endless resources. So there is this combination of compassion and using wisdom. About five or six years ago, I remember reading in the progress that there were a number of youth groups and other church groups that were being well-intentioned to go out and take sandwiches to people on the streets at night. And they were handing out these bags of sandwiches and stuff like that, and it seemed like a really good idea, and it seemed kind and thoughtful and caring and all that kind of good stuff. But it had an unintended result. What was happening is that these same people who normally once it started to get dark and it started to get cold would head to the shelter. They stayed on the streets longer because their tummies were full. And now that their tummies were full and they were hanging on the streets and it was getting dark, it was easy to be tempted to steal. And so all of a sudden, they could see in the city that there was more theft that was going up. And neighbors were beginning to complain about all the bags in the saran wrap that was tossed all over the yards. Now, it's not to say that you can never hand out sandwiches to a person on the street, but it is to say this. It was enlightening when at the time Mayor Sharon Gates came to our ministerial to share with us about this ongoing situation. And she said, you know, it would be more helpful if people would say, could I buy your bus pass so that you can get to your center tonight? Because at the center, we know who these people are. We have staff there that are tracking who they are and trying to help them take their next best step. First thing, Bring them back in here where they can be known. Now we can have relationship and community and assess what the situation is and try to help them take their next best step. So she was really cautioning us to be wise and that we need to work together. And I thought that was good wisdom. Compassion needs wisdom to guide it. I think I missed my slide. But it's just that compassion needs wisdom to guide it. There it is. Uh, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, of course, as we heard even from Scott's uh, testimony here about Ruth and Naomi's, they keep Christ at the middle of it. That, yes, we know you have needs and we want to help meet those needs, but you, too, need wisdom. So wisdom is applied to us in how we interact and use our resources, but it's also applied for the ones who are in the situation who are looking to try to get out of it. I believe that one of the ways that our church helps best is through this way of partnership. That when we partner together, um, we can do more together. Um, We financially support Ruth and Naomi's Mission, Salvation Army, Cyrus Youth Center, Pearl Ministry, Adult and Teen Challenge, the Pregnancy uh, Clinic. There's lots of different ways in which we partner together. 
And I'm not just saying that you give your money to these situations and you never help a person personally. I'm just saying bring wisdom to how you help people personally. But know that when we engage in these kind of avenues, they're good avenues. They are places where they're offering good support for the need that is there. <clears throat> you can volunteer, as you heard, or you might be a person who goes on staff there. So these are all ways in which I think are wise ways to be involved, bringing compassion and wisdom together. The last story I'll share with you is this one. Um, last, uh, over a year ago when we had the flood out on the Sumas Plains, um, we had a situation where a bunch of money across Canada was collected and then it was shipped to BC and then our, through our fellowship, through our denomination. And then we had over $45,000 that was given to us to pass out. Well, how do you be wise with that? We found out in Arnold, the little community over there on the flats, that they had a, a devastating effect amongst a lot of people in that little village. Uh, town. <laughs> Anyways, uh, they set up a small team that would manage a system. You could apply for funding within that community. They collected funds, and then what they did is they had a three-tier system to administer those funds. When I heard about that, I said, that is a very good system, because you're assessing everyone kind of through a lens to help them. And so we were able to do donate about 30000 of that $45,000 that went over to uh, them to do that. So my point is this, the mission of Ruth and Naomi's is one whereby they offer the love of Jesus Christ. They want to support and help people so that they might experience that transformation. Jesus is the answer to our deepest need. And I think it's great when we can partner with organizations like that. So my message today is just simply this. God wants us to keep a heart of compassion while being wise with our resources. And partnering with these kinds of agencies allows us to do that. I hope that your heart will not become callous and indifferent. While at the same time, as you seek to minister and reach out, that you bring God's wisdom to that situation. I'd like to ask Pastor Tim to come up and close our service. All right, thanks, Rod. And um, I was thinking of these two words and holding them in tension, wisdom and compassion. I came across this benediction that I'd like to leave you all with. It says this, let the majesty of the Father be the light by which you walk. The compassion of the Son be the love by which you walk. And the presence of the Spirit be the power by which you walk. And so as you go into your week, may you remember that and go in, in peace and the presence and the power of our God. Amen? Amen. All right, we hope to see you next week. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.